The following is a message from Wellsprings Congregation. This past November, well, actually, let me be more specific. It was November 30th, Thursday, 7.30 in the morning. I was in Los Angeles. I was there to visit my girlfriend, and also we were attending the company holiday party that weekend, and I was going as her plus one. I got a text from her. She said, hey, uh, hey, your boss is in town. He's actually attending the senior management meeting in person in L.A. Did you know he was going to be here? Thinking, I'm thinking to myself, wow, I wonder, I wonder what Bryce is doing here. He's, we'll have a phone call later today. I know that. But uh, no, I'm not expecting him. So I wrote her back kind of joking. Maybe I'm getting fired today. A couple hours later, I meet up with my boss and his boss, and we had a planned meeting to talk about sales strategy that day. And I got fired. Now, I've certainly experienced my fair share of rejection in my life, but actually never job rejection. My competence at my job was one of the few things I could stake my reputation on, one of the few things... I was really proud of, but not now. I was fired. My employer had reached two conclusions. One, I was never going to meet the requirements of the job that I was in. And two, there was no other place in the company where I could add value. So they sent me packing with best wishes for my future. Now, look, you'd be really justified if you were sitting there now saying, what the heck is this guy whining about? I mean, for God's sakes, he's a white guy. He's male. What's the big deal? People get fired all the time. My working life began at the age of 15. And that was 1976. I never stopped earning money until December 2017. That's 42 years, for those of you who like to do math. Never, ever had I been fired from any job in 42 years. Now, to whatever you might attribute this string of employment, privilege, performance, luck, hard work, talent, for me, emotionally, this was embarrassing and humiliating. My work was something that gave me purpose. My work and this purpose was now taken away from me. I lost my job. I lost a friend. My boss, he had persuaded me to come work there. And now that friendship is broken. I don't trust that friendship, and I don't know if I want to take the time to repair it. I lost those relationships that I come to cherish with the people I worked with every day. 
I'm the kind of person who falls in love with the people he works with, figuratively and in some cases literally. The income I can replace, the relationships, that's a lot harder. The firing said to me very clearly, very loudly, that I had failed. I had failed my colleagues. I had failed my company. I failed myself. I'm crushed. I'm embarrassed. And uh, I'm angry. Ken and Lee have invited us in this message series, Keeping It Green, to explore the habits of heart and mind, the spiritual practices and ways of experience that invite us to cultivate a fresh perspective on our lives. And so when the message and the call went out to the worship leaders to offer up a message in this series, it occurred to me that perhaps I was in a pretty good position to offer some insight, to talk about the fresh perspective I'm trying to cultivate. There are moments when I feel like I'm staring into an abyss of unknown proportions. I'm terrified at the uncertainty of my circumstances. I'm the sense that I might never recover from this setback. At other times, I'm actually thrilled. It's exciting to be cut loose from expectations to gaze out into the future and consider a range of possible alternatives. And like a writer who begins her next work, the blank page in front of me is an invitation. But it's an invitation that is exciting and terrifying. Before I get into the ways in which I'm working to cultivate a fresh perspective, I'd like to offer a suggestion. When change is upon us, when our sense of experience and our sense of self experiences failure and doubt, when everything we trusted falls away and we're left standing alone and naked, I think and I believe that our way forward requires the humility to listen to listen to that shy, still, small voice that speaks to us about our whole lives. And the confidence, to the pride, the conviction to accept what we hear, to pursue that call, and to persevere through the challenges we might face. I don't know how the rest of you are. I love stories of people who relentlessly pursue a deep conviction, a passion of theirs, and who also approach that pursuit with humility and grace. Some of my personal favorites are Martin Luther King, Jane Goodall, and Fred Rogers. I used to love those documentaries, those Jane Goodall documentaries. When I was growing up, I learned so much from her, and I was inspired by her love for the chimps. In that work that she did, she narrowed the gap between humans and chimps by breaking the rules of anthropology. She was not an objective observer in a way, or at least that's what she was told. She named the chimps rather than number them. 
she actually became a member of the chimpanzee community. The, 20, the, the lowest member of the community, the lowest ranking member. For 22 months she did this. I think that's an amazing act of humility to, as a person who's presumably of a superior species, to subject themselves willingly to the rules of the chimp community. I see the same pattern actually in King's letter from Birmingham jail, where he is responding to his critics, not in an angry way, but he's responding to their words, and he, you can see in, when you read it that he's listening to the, what they're saying. And he's speaking to them in their language, but he's speaking with conviction in what he believes, with clarity, with, a, with intention. The same for Mr. Rogers, often ridiculed, but never deterred in his belief that simplicity, honesty, vulnerability, and compassion could make for beautiful, powerful, and enduring television. His message is believe in yourself and listen to your neighbors. These people who lead and have led us, led me, with humility and with confidence, point to a way of being in the world that I find very inspiring. It gives me hope. Now, as I'm spending some time now in what I would consider to be a wilderness, I'm asking myself, how, where, when, why do I hear that call to vocation? I like to think of my work as a vocation. It's not transactional. How do I hear that call to self-expression, to that upon which I might set my heart? For me, Parker Palmer speaks very clearly and offers me insight, and I think the rest of us, in his book, Let Your Life Speak, and I quote, Vocation does not come from willfulness. Vocation comes from listening. I must listen to my life and try to understand what it is truly about, quite apart from what I want it to be about. Or my life will never represent anything real in the world, no matter how earnest my intentions. Unquote. A moment later, Palmer reminds us that the act of listening to our lives is one that does require humility, the ability to set our egos aside, to set aside that curated Facebook self, the self we've come to rely upon that gets us from one day to the next, from one relationship to the next, and one job to the next. That is my hard work. And I believe it is the hard work that we all must do. We must carve out those opportunities to be still and quiet, to pay attention to our whole lives. We must be ready to receive what we hear with humility and grace. I know that if I don't do this work, the words of David Byrne in the Talking Head song, Once in a Lifetime, will come true for me, and I will be shouting with my fist in the air, My God, what have I done? So what am I doing to keep it green? Well, I'm doing a number of things. Each day, I try to remind myself to be present, to enjoy the opportunity to be cut loose and just be in the moment, get out of the grind of the job. I'm also trying to keep a routine. I, get, I try and get regular sleep. I get up every morning. I take it slow. 
which is nice. I've never done that before. Enjoy my coffee, a little news, a little reflection. I work for a few hours on the job search. I take the afternoon to go to the gym, try to stay fit, make some time for friends and family that I may not have spent time with or had time for, a coffee, a meal, time to talk. But importantly, I also recognized that I need help. Can't do it alone. So I reached out to a coach. And one of the areas that I'm working on with my coach is what he calls my current way of being. I like this term. What is my current way of being as I experience job loss and I pursue my next job? One's way of being is described with two words, an adjective and a noun. And it goes together something like, my current way of being as I face job loss and seek a new job is the way of the adjective noun. In my case, we came up with the busy, stinging bee. Why this metaphor? Oh, by the way, I spent a lot of time looking for somebody that would look like me. (laughs) We spent time, my coach and I, discussing my beliefs. What's the story that I'm telling myself about my situation? What's the story about myself others and how the world works that got me here and I think will get me where I need to go. It's kind of like the hypothesis. If I do this, then that will happen. We also talked about my way of going or what it is I'm actually doing. What are the things that I'm doing to pursue that end, that transition, that next job? And finally, how am I checking in with myself to know if I'm going where I want to go? I'm accomplishing my goals. So the busy stinging bee believes that life keeps happening to me. But if I keep busy enough and do enough tasks and flit from flower to flower, ready to strike back when the world turns against me, I'll eventually get what I need. I'll get out of this hole. I'll find that job and I'll be happy. So I go about my days. I make my to-do list. I move from one task to the next. I make my phone calls. I send my email. I follow up on things. I pursue every opportunity in front of me. Never know which flower is going to have some good pollen in it. Even if it's, you know, not that good. And if I've completed my checklist, I've got it all done. I've had a couple of meetings. People got back to me, called me back, liked to talk to you. I feel like I'm getting things done. I feel validated. I feel like it's working. If not, then I sting myself or somebody else with my words and with my attitude. Now, if I'm honest, this current way of being kind of works. It's gotten me pretty far. It helps me get through the day. It helps me push away those feelings of anger, those feelings of disillusionment, of sadness that are lurking within me. And it falls short. It doesn't quite get me where I need to go. 
For example, when I'm on an interview and I don't sense the right level of recognition for my accomplishments and my resume, or I don't get, or I get one of those questions and I'm like, do I really have to answer that question for you at this point in my life? That's when the stinger comes out. I launch into an ad hominem attack on the whole business and the impending doom of the industry that I work in. Or I get sour and just generally sour. And I take it out on somebody I love. Just uh, last week, I was having a conversation with my girlfriend and for the past week or so, I had been waiting to hear back from several people. I had even sent follow-up emails. Hey, just checking in. Nothing. Crickets. And I was feeling pretty, pretty frustrated, pretty angry. I was talking to my girlfriend, Emily, and she's, you know, I'm just ranting for 45 minutes. And I'm telling her that I'm doing everything right. And the entire world has lost its moral compass. People are just rude. And I'm right and they're wrong. And during that 45-minute tirade, I stung every attempt she made to offer support, insight, compassion. And by the end of the conversation, at least that part of the conversation, we were both crying. I, of course, was feeling sorry for myself. But she was feeling exhausted from my relentless attack on her every offer of support. I got to tell you, that is not a pretty sight. Especially when you're 3,000 miles apart and it's through FaceTime. You're like, oh, I think I need to hug somebody right now. How can I shift away from the busy stinging bee to something more helpful, something more connected to who I want to be? Like, for example, the grateful warrior who sees life as happening for me and not to me so that I can put away my sword and my stinger and be grateful for what I have. How can I go about this transition in a way that recognizes the abundance that is already present, confident in myself, validated, not by others, but my own, my own awareness and confidence and pride in what I've already accomplished. Pride in my strengths as well as my weaknesses. Checking with myself in a way that's not about keeping score. How many things did I do on my list today? In fact, when Emily and I talk, I'm like, I run down the list. I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. But rather in a way that's about compassion and gratitude. Now, I'm just starting to explore this way of being. And for me, it begins with that very obvious recognition that I am not a victim. But it's a role that I love to inhabit. And when I look back on that November day, not too long ago, and I reflect honestly about it all and what transpired that led up to it, I had opportunities to make some different choices. I had opportunities within the company, in fact, to to move to a different business unit that might have provided me with a greater opportunity to stay. But I 
I kind of waved it off. I had this sense of loyalty that I used as a way to say, no, I'm not going to do that, even though I was aware that this was weak over here. I can't just blame it all on somebody doing it to me. It's hard for me to let go of this way of a busy stinging bee. I like it. It keeps me busy. gets the task done. I, get, I like to get angry when things don't go as planned. But I have to learn to humble myself. I have to learn to listen to others, as well as that still, shy voice that's speaking to me of my whole life. Connecting me with the deeper source of conviction. One more integrated with who I want to be in the world. An explorer, a teacher, a passionate advocate for positive change in business and society. So I'm taking some time now to sit with these intentions. Making a daily practice of writing down at the end of the day what it is I'm really grateful for. Amazing family time to spend with my, my aging and ailing father, a great partner who cares, helpful, a loving brother who lives with me now and is really supportive in all kinds of ways. There's a lot of abundance there. I found this practice of identifying and naming my current way of being to be really helpful to me now. And I'm grateful to have had the chance to share it with you this morning. And as I've been going through this process, I was working on the message and thinking about my current way of being in this transition, in this change in my life, in this kind of threat to my identity, I've also thought about my current way of being in parallel as a member of Wellsprings, which is also going through a transition and has been for some time. And more broadly, I've thought about what is Wellsprings, the thing, current way of being? How does it go about its, its existence? Now, when I think about keeping it green in this context, and I wonder about my current way of being as a member of Wellsprings, a few ideas pop into my head. I'll just throw them out there. One is the nostalgic naysayer. I'm really attached to how we used to do things and I'm kind of reluctant to change. Or the retired leader kind of sitting in the back, enjoying, you know, just being comfortable, being taken care of a little bit, letting things kind of unfold. Or perhaps the elder statesman, helping to make what is past relevant for what is present and before us. If I'm honest, I think I've spent a good deal of time in that kind of naysayer, nostalgic naysayer role, feeling more like a victim of circumstances. I'm seeking to be the elder statesman. I'm very proud of what has passed. I'm available and trying to be available for what's present and open to what's yet to come. And I think it's worth taking some time for each of us to consider our way of being as members of Wellsprings adjective noun. My way of being as a member of Wellsprings is blah, blah.
I believe it's worth considering this because we're transitioning. We're constantly changing. We're evolving and adapting. And we're trying to figure out who we're called to be in the world. Now, I came to Wellsprings not because of the minister. I came here because I actually love and have com- am committed to the ideas of Unitarian Universalism, and I'm committed to the version of that that we have here at Wellsprings. I'm proud of what we stand for. I'm proud of what we aspire to be more so. And I hope we all can carry that pride in our hearts. Our world needs what Unitarian Universalism offers. I think our world needs the kinds of ideas that are expressed in our core beliefs and our core values. That's why this Sunday today at 12.15 after service, I'll be joining the Spiritual Development Core Ministry in one of their meetings to explore and evolve the beliefs and, and values. I'm looking forward to this opportunity to bring an open heart, to listen with humility to what is emergent now, 10 years into this wonderful experiment. More than 10 years. And as we take this opportunity as a group and as a congregation to reconnect with who we are and why we are and what we want to be for the world and for our members, I start to ask those questions about our current way of being as as a group, as Wellsprings. What is the story we tell ourselves? What are the beliefs and values that we hold about our story? The theory that if we do this, then that will happen. What is that if-then story we tell ourselves? How do we understand our role and our place in this community and in the world? How do we go about our work, charging the world full with the charge of the soul? What is it we're doing? And how are we checking to make sure that we're achieving on our mission? In what ways is our current way of being a barrier to what is calling us forward? And how can we find the humility to hear that call, to hear what it is we wish to bring into being? So I encourage all of us to take the time to think about these questions, to join in these conversations led by the Spiritual Development Core Ministry, to bring your pride and your humble hearts so that we can continue this great experiment together. Amen. And may you live in blessing. Let us join our hearts in prayer. Abundance that creates space for us here this morning. We are grateful for this opportunity to gather with humility and with pride. We are grateful to take the time to hear the call of our heart's deepest yearnings and ready to meet the world's deepest needs. May we carry our pride and our humility into our lives together and into the world that we serve. Amen. If you enjoyed this message and would like to support the mission of Wellsprings, go to our website, wellspringsuu.org. That's Wellsprings, the letters uu.org.